0: Have you ever heard of David Jones? There's a lot of them out there, especially when we're talking about 60s British music. The one I'm talking about was born on January 8th, same birthday as Elvis Presley, Stephen Hawkins, R. Kelly, Kim Jong-un, Gabby Hoffman, and even Bob Eubanks, host of Card Sharks. He was known around the schoolyard as a brawler. He even got into a huge fight with his best friend. So huge, it changed his look forever. We're going to talk about that today. Mr. Jones altered his first name a little. He became Davy Jones and joined up with the Lower Third. After Davy Jones and the Lower Third put out their debut album, another band called The Monkees became the next big thing. And their singer's name, Davy Jones. So our hero decides to change his name, inspired by a knife that James Brown was a fan of. I think you know where we're going with this. Welcome to This Band Could Be Your Food, a podcast turning the facts, figures, songs, and history of all the bands in the world into a food that you can cook at home. If you like the show, review us on Apple Podcasts right now, please. Until then, what food is David Bowie? And what's the name of this show?
1: This Band Could Be Your Food.
0: Okay, here we go. Let's start off with a trivia question that you might already know if you happened to listen to the Guns N' Roses episode of TBCBYF. What intimate detail does David Bowie and g r guitarist slash have in common? Hmm, I'll tell you in a sec. Welcome, young Americans, to this bank of beer food. I am your humble servant, Nathan Palin. Today's show is a humdinger of an episode and one I've been trying to make happen for quite some time. Finally, David Bowie is our main course. My co-pilot is the amazing singer, DJ, party planner, curator of David Bowie and Elvis Presley tributes around New York City, not to mention his take on the Rocky Horror Picture Show, the incomparable Michael T. Now, I've been trying to get Michael on since about episode five. And uh, if you've never seen Michael do his thing... You should do yourself a favor. Come on down to Arlene's Grocery this Halloween night. Monday, October 31st, 2022. Michael and the Vanities are going to be doing a Halloween spooktacular. And the word is I'm going to be jumping up on stage for a tune myself. Anyways, check your local listings and find out what time that starts. And then we'll dance. Let's dance. Let's get on with today's program. But before we do, how about a trivia answer? David Bowie, at one time, had an intimate relationship with Saul Hudson's mother. Saul Hudson is the real name of GNR guitarist Slash. Slash even remembers David Bowie as a child as he was coming over to their place, and uh, Slash didn't uh, care much for it, you know what I mean? I mean, would you? We're talking about his mother over time slash became a household name and uh you know he and david rekindled their uh relationship Maybe became closer and um you know that's how that works out anyways on to the program and on to this really wonderful chat i had with the guy who knows more about david bowie uh, as far as i can tell than any living human being the one and only michael t here we go
2: it's finally happening finally
0: how this why did this take so long
2: (laughs) um when i first was
0: trying to get you on the show the problem was like we were going through some terrible weather
2: weather and then we had another covid thing yes uh that's right and then because of that some of my bowie shows got rescheduled Uh, yeah that's right and we were trying to obviously make it coincide with those and then just the whole thing got Nutty. And then I don't know what happened that we didn't do it during spring-summer.
0: Yeah, well, spring-summer gets busy. I I went to Italy for a month.
2: That takes out some time. That takes out some time. And here we are. And here we are. And thankfully, actually, we're still doing it while the weather's still pretty nice. I think the weather's just about perfect this time of year. I'm not seeing you in the middle of January when it's going to be not so nice.
0: Not so nice, no.
2: Although, that is... When our uh, subject at hand, that's uh, his birthday. Exactly. Same birthday as old Elvis Presley. That is correct.
0: By about 12 years, come come to find. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, I'm, I have a super connection with that as well, because my birthday is like one day apart. One day on, on the 7th of
2: January. And I am 10 days after. And I'm the 18th. Exactly. So this is a Capricorn union. Absolutely. Yes. Some of the finest people I know are Capricorns. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Who can argue in this room, right? <laughs> <laughs> We're a little biased, but yes, uh, yes. I reckon so. But agreed. Hey, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I mean, when it comes to David Bowie, there's really no one more to talk to than <laughs> yours, you know, and my, Michael
2: th- T. Yours truly. Yeah,
0: you're standing right before me. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: And you just did like a, a tribute, the Ziggy Stardust, the Rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust. So you guys just did yes, that show. Yes, five we
2: ago. uh ago. A little bit more, actually, okay. in June, which oh, was yeah. the 50th anniversary. Yes. Um, usually I I obviously always do a Bowie show for his birthday. And then depending on other, you know, specific anniversaries, usually usually a milestone. Ziggy happens to be the album that I always do. Yeah. Because it's just kind of it's, right. Yeah, uh, but this year happened to be the fiftieth, so we really kind of took it a, a notch above, and I did a lot of uh, sort of B sides and a few outtakes, and it was it was definitely more involved than some of my previous. That's awesome.
0: I was sad that I could not be a part of it, a or even just go and watch it.
2: I think you had your own gig that night. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah it's it's yes. t- the the the
0: season of gigging i mean it's <laughs> it's the problem i go to very few shows usually so what like do you remember the first time you had heard david bowie
2: um more or less i mean uh i have an older brother and uh, he bought station to station okay and then i feel that he bought changes one bowie the greatest hits yeah. after and then he bought the Ziggy stuff, the glam stuff. Ah, okay. And of course, those album covers were just so striking and made a very strong impression during those very impressionable years of mm. 11, 12, 13. In each,
0: each cover like featured David Bowie on the cover, which is an interesting little like side bit about David Bowie. He's, like, he's, his face is on the cover of every single record.
2: I mean, yes, especially the ones from the 70s, and they were always a very strong image. Uh And of course, with each couple of years, you'd see a different facet of his latest incarnation. There is an exception to this rule.
0: David's final album, Black Star, which was released two days before his passing, was the very only record that did not feature his mug. Just a
2: little trivia piece for you there. Carry on. Uh, But because we were playing somewhat retrospectively, I just got the Ziggy stuff for, or he bought it. You know, he bought it and then I, you know. And it also coincided with my brother getting into punk and new wave. And I was just seeing a correlation between the two, even though the Bowie stuff was at least a good four years prior to, you know, the punk records that were coming out of the day, you know, 77, 78 and so forth. And I, you know, I just kind of remember thinking when I saw the cover of Aladdin Sane of how current it still looked. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. For that that time period. For that
2: time period that it did not look like someone typically from 73, 74. Yeah, no. And then in 79, it was when I started to, I guess you could say buy at least the albums that he was releasing with the actual release date. So Lodger was the first followed by scary monsters and then with lodger was also the first year that i saw the three videos that he made for the album which were uh dj look back in anger and boys keep swinging on don Kirshner's rock concert oh my (laughs)
1: welcome to another fine evening of rock and roll on don Kirshner's rock concert with tonight's special guest the captain and teneal that
2: is old school yes i love that yes and you had to stay up very late uh, Saturday night around one in the morning. And it was also, again, the beginning of, of videos. Yeah. For me, like
0: some of the uh, first videos I remember singing, like pre-MTV was like Night Flight.
1: In the past three years, Night Flight has kept pace with the video music revolution in its own unique style. I, uh, we the, never
2: were... got that for some okay. reason. I was aware of it. I remember even reading about MTV, like when it first came about or was about to but again because because we were into so much of the english stuff we just became aware of you know videos yeah uh at least a solid two years before mtv and we were also big blondie fans and of course blondie had released eat to the beat as a video album which was one of the first oh interesting. Yeah, in 79 yeah okay yeah so it was it was really great, but there were so few outlets to see videos during that time. Sure. So it was the rare instance of it being shown, like maybe on Casey Kasem. Yes.
0: Uh huh. <laughs> yep. I remember you know, watching like Saturday morning. They would uh, count down the top forty, and right, you know,
2: right, or possibly a <laughs> snippet on Solid Gold. Yeah. You know, things of that nature. <laughs> yep. But I saw. The three from Lodger and then the two from Scary Monsters the following year, which was, uh, which were Ashes to Ashes and, and yeah. Fashion.
0: Did you get to see him live?
2: I did. Unfortunately, I did not see him during his last sev- uh, 70s tour, which was uh, for Heroes and Low in 78. Wow. That's just when I became a fan. Sure. And then he did not tour for Scary Monsters, which was... It was was kind of what everybody was expecting because it was a pretty popular album. And he was touring at that point roughly every two years. Uh-huh. I didn't know until years later that a, that he sort of became a recluse due to uh, John Lennon's assassination. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, at the time. You know, so 19, 1980 was a really big year for Bowie in the sense that he released Scary Monsters. And then he also starred in The Elephant Man.
1: I don't know I look like this, Mrs. Kendall. My mother was so beautiful. She was knocked down by an elephant in the circus. she was pregnant. Something must have happened. Don't you think? It, uh...
2: So it was, it was like, still kind of this weird figure just kind of like the perfect balance between having some commercial appeal but still with that avant-garde slant to it
0: yeah yeah yeah
2: but living in new york city you know especially at that time new york was entirely different than what it is today new york attracted itself to artists of that nature yes so he was getting a lot of coverage here and I mean, it was, it was unheard of a, a, you know, rock performer to be on Broadway Mm. and you know, 1980. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Uh, And yeah, we were, we were really all, all the fans were expecting for him to, to tour and then it didn't happen. And then we thought, well, maybe it'll happen in early 81. And of course that didn't happen either. So I didn't get to see him until Let's Dance in 1983 was the first time. So it was a five year wait. Wow.
0: Did you get to see him like his last run of shows, which which was kind of like right for him when he discovered that he was getting
2: sick? Or rather that he got sick on stage, I believe I read. Oh, is that what it is? I think so. I think he had like kind of a heart attack on stage from yeah. what I read. Yeah, not not so good. I don't think I saw that those, uh, that was the reality tour. So that's like 2003, four. Yeah which was a rather extensive tour. Mm -hmm. I didn't see that show, but I saw like a private screening thing for something he did for A&E, like in 2002. I want to say for the album Hours. I'm sorry, not Hours. Heathen in 2002. And then I saw Hours in 1999 when he had the long hair and he played at Roseland.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. Was this like just after uh, Tin Machine? Wasn't he growing his hair during the Tin Machine?
2: No, no. This is like 10 years after Tin Machine. Oh, okay. Uh, this is a little bit after the whole Earthling period mm. when he was sort of doing a techno-ish industrial <laughs> Trent Reznor, yeah. you know, I'm Afraid of Americans, all of that. Okay. Uh <laughs> He did a lot of stuff. He did. He, <laughs> he did. really
0: tried on a lot of suits, a right. lot of different uh personas. Different that, that was his whole thing though. Like he, when he first started, he didn't even necessarily want to be a performer in the first place. Right? He wanted to be he, li- he liked writing songs and so he started adapting, from what I understand, right? adapting these different personas as sort of a way for him to, I guess, maybe get the courage to go out there? Or to, to him, he was sort of like writing songs for a character. Like, he kind of looked at it
2: in sort of a theater. Well, way. I mean, yeah, I think with Bowie, you know, there's, of course, his early, early years when he was in small bands, you know, Brit bands, yeah, uh, in the in the mid-60s, like the Kim, King Bees and yeah. the Managed Boys and all that stuff. Yeah, and the uh, Lower was, Third. Lower Third, yeah. Yeah. That was the one that was the last one right before uh he went solo. And they were just, you know, kind of standard R and B. The stuff that was happening at the time, but also with like a big Sid Barrett
0: influence
2: in some of those cases. Uh that came a tad later because that's 67. Okay, so that's the first David Bowie record, right? Right. All right. And so I I would say that that really the the creation of Bowie started it kind of coincided with the name change and and becoming solo. yeah. And then he had his first real manager or at least longtime manager Kenneth Pitt. Mm-hmm. And then shortly after that he studied Mime with Lindsay Kemp. yeah. And then of course, that's when Pink Floyd started. So I think all those things and then just his natural interest his natural curiosity, he was always kind of a uh, a sponge. yep uh, it all kind of coalesced. Totally. And the, the sort of the, that embryonic stage of what we all would soon know what was a sort of Bowie type of thing, you know, mm-hmm. character or caricature or whatever yeah. started. And even that first album, it, it even though a lot of people kind of make fun of it, I, you know, I like it. I think it's very charming. I, I
0: you know, I, I had never given it an opportunity in the first place, but re-listened to it and wow, it's a ride.
1: Let me introduce you to the gang. Johnny plays the sitar. He's an existentialist. Once he had a name, now he plays our game. yeah you
0: you, you can really see like the seeds of like, you know, the obviously, it's the beginning of Bowie, but you can still see, there Some are, of the, yeah, there are a lot of uh, hatches of lots of places that he's can and will go obviously, exactly as we know him a little bit more
2: exactly. Yeah. I mean, you see more. Signs of the of the early stuff. You don't, you know, obviously stuff like you know, young Americans or whatever. But you see sure. signs of the next album and Hunky Dory. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. uh and even a l- tiny bit of Ziggy. I would say, and some sure. of the vocal inflections and the theatricality. And uh, yeah, I think you really see moments of Ziggy in the yeah. Love You Till Tuesday yeah. short yeah. film.
1: Started on Sunday. Give me your heart, and I'll love you till Tuesday.
2: There's one clip where it's not a performance to a song, but just a mime piece, and it's called The Mask, Mm -hmm. appropriately enough.
0: You kind of like glazed over this real quick. But yeah, David Bowie was very serious about miming for a while, (laughs) listeners. (laughs) Which, you know, you wouldn't otherwise know that, but it it makes a little sense. I feel like we've seen him do some miming from time to time in his videos. Right. You know, kind of like
2: bring that character out. I think he definitely, not I think, he definitely used it more in uh, his the earlier part of, of his career, you know, uh, during the Ziggy years and even uh, for the Diamond Dogs tour. But you'll see moments of it later. I think like with any art form, in most cases, you sort of already innately have certain qualities and then whatever is taught to you, you know, flourishes. So sure. you really see that... Um, discipline with his body knowing the the strength of stillness certain movements you know a lot of it is very deliberate sure but done in a way that also seems effortless yeah which is almost like a contradiction um and he became you know he became very aware of that pretty early and like a lot of things in life i think just his natural body aesthetic lent itself to that being tall and thin Mm -hmm. and trim so each movement looks even more exaggerated yes by virtue of just how he is naturally physically sure
0: yeah and then when you throw that into uh like the rest of his career like those skills that you get i imagine becoming a mime you know being able to communicate without using your words and obviously using that within his stage show and with his, all the acting totally. parts that he, that he took throughout his, his career.
2: Totally. Know? And I would, I would even go as far as saying that when Bowie, especially the, the early years when he was touring, it was essentially acting.
0: Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. 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 100%.
2: Through song and performance and yeah. all of that. Yeah. Um, And you even hear that in his singing, you know, For I sure. would say a song like five years, there's a a, you know, theatrical sense of, oh, of yeah. singing and and really kind of making certain parts of the song very heightened. Oh yeah. And again, the yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Extremely theatrical. Well, listen, before we get too crazy
2: about yes. talking about
0: this all this wonderful knowledge that you have of David <laughs> Bowie, which I'm so excited to dive into. Uh, the whole point of the show is is we're, we're making a food out of him.
2: <laughs> we are, in a very uh, curious way during a very dark period. Certainly.
0: Well, you know, we had to, I mean, every, every time that I have to do this, I kind of have to take a different angle. And this is one of the few times where one of his major life sources of food (laughs) is what we're pivoting the food off of. And uh, this moment in time, it is storied that during his major cocaine period, which this came after what? Like This is probably the beginning of Diamond Dogs into?
2: Uh, Yeah, it's a solid two year period. I would say it might. I
0: think it's after young Americans even. Yeah, young Americans. He's still kind of with it. No, Uh,
2: no, 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 no. It, it, it. uh, I think the the coke stuff started probably by the end of '73, but then it really took hold when he left England in early '74, like maybe a month or two before Diamond Dogs is released, to prepare for the tour. Okay. So, so really, like the 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 trappings, if you will, occurred here in the states. Okay. And then he was in the states. For two years. So yeah. it's young Americans station to station and the, and the tours and, uh, and 75, there was no tour and, and just, oh, in the movie, of course. Yeah. I would say his most insane period was at some point in 75 when he lived in this house in LA and, you know, he had an exorcism for his pool he was yes. storing his urine.
0: This is, yes. Yes. This is the time. Yeah. <laughs>
2: this is like total <laughs> Manson, culty, crazy. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. he was really into Aleister Crowley
0: at that point. Yeah. Know, well, that his, um, was
2: actually an earlier influence, was, but yeah. Yeah.
0: He, Which he kind of picked up from his brother, uh, Terry. Uh, like, like he, he was into that and, and like cool music and- and um, Terry was a big influence. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for sure, uh, But anyways, the, yes. food, the food, food, the food, the food. The, yes. What we're trying to say is like at this point, they, he had said that he lived off of nothing but red peppers and milk. Correct. For, and, and, and blow for about, <laughs> about a year is what they say. So yeah. is, is that possible for somebody to live? there is listen there's a lot of vitamin c in (laughs) in red peppers so this could be and there's protein and milk yeah protein and milk so you know and liquid so hydration sure yeah (laughs) so i guess it's possible so anyways this ended ended up being the jumping off point yeah what i was saying what i was thinking so i'm like what dish can you mix Milk and, and peppers and peppers together, and, and then that's uh, not strictly milk and peppers. That's just not strictly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That I mean, that is not a gourmet meal that that <laughs> that would live up to the standards that we try to put ourselves here in the show. Uh, but I, you know, like looked up online, looked up some recipes, and uh, you type in those ingredients frequently, like a soup would come up. So I thought, ah, okay, a soup that would be nice. And then somewhere along the line, I also saw the word shrimp arrive, and a light bulb went off. Uh, and, and, and this is something that, uh, I can equate with uh, what I did with the Rolling Stones episode. Now a shrimp, if you look at it in a funny sort of way,
2: it kind of looks like a roach, right?
0: I, I was going to say David Bowie.
2: (laughs) Oh, (laughs) like, like wow.
0: Because like, (laughs) Because okay Wasn't this, expecting that This is why Well I mean like Because David Boy went through All this alien stuff You know right. like there's a lot Of different alien things I mean right. what does a shrimp look like It looks like a little alien You know
2: <laughs> I, I suppose right? okay yeah.
0: And uh, also I, When we did the Rolling Stones episode I said that the Rolling Stones Were uh, Were chicken wings Hot chicken wings And part of my reason was that A single chicken wing
2: uncooked. Related to Mick Jagger's dance?
0: Looks a little bit like, yeah. (laughs) A, his dance, and then B, the way that the skin doesn't quite sit on it. It's a little bit awkward. Yeah, it's kind of stretchy. Yes, yes exactly it's yes. just like it's not quite right. right where whereas david bowie always looks chiseled right yeah like a shrimp is just like you know it's right. trim it's full of protein it's like <laughs> ready to go right
2: so you know uh, that was the correlation that was
0: the correlation and then like you know when you, you think about you know david bowie and mick jagger having kind of a relationship all the way through their lives yes. you know culminating to them like singing what the locomotion or whatever song they did together <laughs> for, yeah. for live aid uh, uh, uh,
1: new babe. Tom was here in the top is right for
0: dancing, dancing in the, the street, street. Dance, it, ah!
2: dance in the streets yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. the, the so, uh, real high point yeah so <laughs> in their career totally so
0: so okay, so then I threw shrimp in there, and then there, then we have some possible options. Uh, it wasn't very easy. Most of the things that said maybe it could be pasta, but I felt that was just too heavy. You know, a heavy. I, I feel like this should be like really lean and and
2: yeah, you know, to like, go with the
0: artist. To go with the artist. So ultimately, I went with a red pepper shrimp bisque. So that's what we're preparing today: a red pepper shrimp bisque. Here we go. Boom.
2: Yes, back to Terry. Um, so yeah, I I think that uh not I think Terry definitely was a, a big influence on David. And um uh it's unfortunate, obviously, you know, what transpired two sure. years down the road. He yeah, so
0: T- Terry had bad
2: mental health. Correct. In a family that
0: I mean, what was the official diagnosis of Terry?
2: I don't really know, and who knows, you know, what whatever the diagnosis would have been back then, what it would be considered today. Sure, yes. According to the World Wide Web,
0: Terry Burns, his half-brother, suffered from crippling schizophrenia as well as seizures. He was on medication, but he stopped taking it and eventually ended up in a South London mental hospital where he would spend the rest of his days. Now, it turns out that Bowie's family on his mother's side also suffered from schizophrenia spectrum disorders, so his mother's sister was even sent for a lobotomy, so. It is said that David Bowie always had this looming over his shoulder, and in fact, when he met his first wife on their first date, he had mentioned that he was always feeling like the schizophrenia was just around the corner from him, so. It never officially took over David's life, but... Regardless, that little thing was there. Carry on. Back then, they really didn't treat these sort of illnesses.
2: Yeah, we're we're still a little lacking today. So oh, yeah. lack- <laughs> to say the least,
0: <laughs> just throw them in prison. I think is, yeah. is kind of what yeah. they do.
2: <laughs> yeah. Again, who knows? You know what? How that would be looked at today. I do know that, if, that you know, David's father passed when David was very young. He was oh. only 22. Okay, yeah. So this was 1969, uh, just as David was getting his first taste of success with Space Oddity. Mm. And then him and his mom were never really that close. No. Um, I know that David's schoolmates at the time
0: had said that it was very cold in the house as far as love goes. <laughs> there was not a lot of uh, family life to be, to be had, so... Whereas I, uh, he was he was closer with his dad, yes, yeah, yeah. His dad was a very charming fellow, maybe a touch aloof, but I mean, they said that he had a sense of humor and and he meant well, but he just didn't really know what he was supposed to be providing.
2: I think it was also one of those households where uh, you know it was more matriarch than patriarch that Way, yeah, seems that way, yeah, yeah.
0: And, um, yeah, David never had that close connection with the family. And so he was kind of left to find his own devices, in, yeah, his yeah. Own devices <laughs> and hanging out with other people. Um, you know, like he became really good friends with this fellow, George. Yes. What's his last name?
2: of course now I'm just thinking they are good but it's not that underwood uh, George underwood underwood that's yes. exactly right yeah um and they formed a very strong friendship that lasted for years and years and years um despite the fact that he was almost blinded the <laughs> courtesy of yes Mr underwood
0: in fact uh you know one of the misconceptions about David Bowie is they say that he has two different color eyes not exactly true
2: not exactly but yeah. I, I still like that slight exaggeration. It's, sure, it, it works for me. And they do look different in photos. They do. Apparently, it has something to do with just the size of the pupil.
0: Yeah. Well, his pupil was paralyzed. Yeah. At, at the fist of George.
2: At the sharp instrument, actually. Sharp instrument. Yeah.
0: I didn't know that. Yeah,
2: yeah. Okay. It's pretty, pretty, pretty bad. Like, wow. Bowie, I think, always had. His vision somewhat blurred due to the uh, incident. He was very lucky that he didn't become permanently blind.
0: For sure, yeah. So the incident uh, in in question is that George uh, was fancying this young lady, yes. and. Uh, David Bowie happened to like this lady, and he interrupted their first date somehow. He, that I did not know. See, I'm i learning. Yeah, jo- George was was going to be going out with this lady, and and oh, he, I knew
2: I knew that there was yes. it was a girl related, but I didn't realize it was a first date.
0: Scenario. Well, it was it was a first date that he wanted to to for him to go with this girl, and then and then uh, David somehow stopped him from going to it or changed the, like the timing, so the girl went and thought that she was stood up. So their date never happened. And, I see. I, I didn't know this. And then days later, all of a sudden, David Bowie is, you know. Nearly blinded. Bre- yes. Nearly blinded.
2: Yes. That is correct. Um, but yet their friendship survived, which is, is, pretty <laughs> is. Pretty remarkable. Pretty remarkable. Yeah. Uh, um,
0: it's so much that uh, they even had their first band together.
2: I uh, I don't know. Yeah, is, it's is, called. It's called. Are uh, they and the King Bees together? No, oh, that's his
0: first a ba- band. There's a band before the King
2: Bees. Oh, the Conrad's. That's correct.
0: The okay. Conrad. <laughs>
1: From 1962,
2: when Bowie was still in school, mm. and Bowie had. He was like 15 or something. Yeah. And he received his first saxophone right, right around 1960 when he was 13. Saxophone, you say? I do say.
0: Did you guys know that David Bowie's first instrument was the saxophone? <laughs> now, it's crazy. And, and like, he ended up playing saxophone on a lot of his own recordings too. Most,
2: yeah. A lot. Yeah. It's yeah. pretty, pretty crazy. Yeah. Who would have thunk? Who would have thunk? I actually, you know, I love that that became sort of, Whatever by accident default uh, the his instrument and um, then yeah then he was in a in a series of, of just local uh, was it skiffle groups did he play in a skiffle group I don't think so I think they okay. were all pretty much rhythm and blues ish based okay. with maybe the lower third obviously becoming more of a mod yeah. thing. Uh,
1: Question time that says I've brought dishonor. My head's bowed in shame. It seems that I've blackened the family
2: name. They were to the Who. Yes, yes, correct. And uh I believe, you know, he was seeing a lot of those bands also, like at the Marquee at the time, because mm. he was just a few years younger, but yeah. old enough already to be seeing them as their careers mm. were, you know progressing.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean one of the reasons that David Bowie also really liked the saxophone is he was a big fan of, of jazz. Jazz and uh Little Richard. Little Richard was one of his first they, they, they that's what they said. Yes.
2: No, no, no. Uh Little Richard was definitely a huge influence. I don't I I'm wondering if if the playing on those records if that had you know, if it was like the sax that he was drawn to, I kind of feel with Little Richard it was more the performance aspect. Certainly, uh,
0: but the saxophone was a big part of his music, like oh, that,
2: that early but then R and B rock and roll. Yeah, but then then again, all those that period is that's true. Sax heavy. Everyone had a saxophone. Yeah. Player it's it's really this. the guitar of the time. Yeah, 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 yeah for in sure, a, in a sense. I think, you know, I think one misconception with Bowie is that that he changed with every album and that's not really true. No. It, it would be more a series of albums, usually two to three, and there would be a transitional sort of point in, in the in the release, so... So for you, Diamond Dogs is still part of the Ziggy Stardust. I would say more Ziggy with, of course, as, you know, everybody's always like, oh, well, 1984 kind of gives hints to young Americans. I mean... loosely but at the same time not really because it's still so sci-fi and it's so doom laden and all of that stuff so that's still very ziggy you know the yeah. only part of it is that it's a little bit more of a dance ish you know track but you know the voice is still very ziggy and inflected mm. um and 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 of course the the visual itself you know yeah uh, yeah, the, the look is a hundred percent Ziggy. Uh, yeah. I think it's the closing chapter of that character, you Agreed. know, yep. uh, now under the guise of Halloween Jack, the same way that Ziggy is basically Ziggy on Aladdin Sane, but it's under the guise of Aladdin Sane. Okay. You know, uh. Now Aladdin Sane, is it, is it, is that his own chapter or is that. Oh, that's me. No, that, that's totally, that's, that's. Ziggy part two, really. Ziggy okay. with a new name. <laughs> okay. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's still the Spiders from Mars. The the only difference with Diamond Dogs is, you know, Mick Ronson is gone. Trevor Boulder is gone. Yes. And Woody Wood- Woodmansey is gone. Which is the band. Correct. You have Ainsley Dunbar, which granted played on Pinups, which is still technically the Spiders because of Ronson and, and Trevor. Okay. And you have Mike Garson, which is, I, You know, the only reason he's not technically a Spider is because he came in after the album. Yeah, he was the hired gun, more or less. He was the hired gun, but he was hired in the first American leg of the Ziggy Tour. So we're talking about September 72.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. But just was not on those original recordings.
2: It wasn't on Ziggy, but was on Aladdin saying "Pinups and Diamond Dogs." Okay, yeah. as well as the tours. Yeah, Rick Wakeman was actually going to be a "Spiders from Mars."
0: Yeah, Rick Rick Wakeman didn't he play keys on uh... two albums? Okay, those the first two. Uh, not, the not
2: second th- "Space Oddity," which was originally titled "David Bowie in the UK," of Man, and Man of Words, Man of Music." Uh, in the States, which was 69, and then uh, Wakeman played in Honky Dory, which is almost like Ziggy and Gestation, half the album. Half the album is very, how can I call it, like a sort of sophisticated, pop, slightly folky-ish, you know, uh, quirky, folky, but already certain songs Going to where the next album I would say specifically changes. Uh-huh. Oh, you pretty things. Yes, life on Mars, and of course, Queen Bitch. Oh,
1: oh, yeah. I'm up on the 11th
2: and that album is the spiders, but not a name. You know, it's, okay. it's Trevor, Mick Woody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Rick Wakeman. And Rick Wakeman was offered the gig, and I think it was the day before that he was offered to play in Yes, mm-hmm. which is what he took. Yeah. Which bore its own fruit. Seemed to be all right. Yeah, he did okay I mean, right. It. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it's, it's one of those things like, oh, my God, had they only asked him like three days prior to that. Definitely.
0: Um, one of the things I find interesting is that uh, – back to the, the rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust, mm-hmm. is that Starman was one of the first instances where the record company comes in and says, we don't hear a single. Correct. A star
1: man waiting in the sky. He'd like to come and meet us, but he thinks he'd blow our minds. A star...
0: That's a good song. You know, it's always reminded me of another song.
1: Hmm. Over the
2: carry on so he goes it's one of the late ones uh made in the 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 album was basically in the can by late 71 and then another session took place in early 72 just as a total a-side bowie uh nerd thing same thing happened with his debut in 67 five years prior most of the album was in the can by late 66 and then he cut a few songs in early 77 love you till tuesday which is the closest thing to a hit on the album was made so then they re-released the record with these new because they released it in
0: 65 from what i understand and then no the the,
2: the original album was released in 67 but love you till tuesday the track like starman was recorded that year okay whereas everything else was already in the can so the three that were recorded in early 72 Starman because they weren't hearing a single yeah. Suffragette City, which became one of his biggest rock staples.
0: My favorite song of his. Is it? It is. I love it. That really that, I, honestly, that that was my number one favorite song when I was a kid. I would hear that on the radio. Like our our classic rock radio station, like didn't really hit on too many David Bowie songs. But, Most
2: didn't. Don't worry about it. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> but but this is one the Uh, Uh, That was the song where when I listened to the Greatest Hits record, I couldn't understand why that song wasn't on there. Because I'm like, how how is this? Which Greatest
2: Hits? Because it's on Changes 1. Is it? I don't think it's on Changes (laughs) 1. Most
0: definitely. Uh, I'll look into it. (laughs) Anyone care to wager who was right? Of course Michael T was right. Are you kidding me? But he had an earlier Changes 1 Bowie greatest hits compilation which came out in 1976 so it has you know the better songs i had just a regular old changes bowie that came out in 1990 in the uk and here so it's got all the later stuff your let's dance and China girl and blue jean and all that stuff it didn't have suffrage city that's all i'm trying to say there Carry on. Now David Bowie during his early years, he was married to this woman they, well, they call her
2: Angie. an <laughs> this American. Woman. Angela Bowie. It, yeah, Angie's great.
1: Today, tomorrow, yesterday, are geographical locations in time's abhorrent calendar where there are no vacations.
0: This is Angie Bowie performing poetry on the Old Grey Whistle Test back in 1982. A performance that was not received to high reviews, unfortunately. She was born Mary Angela Barnett back in 1949, and yes, was David Bowie's first wife. Let's hear more about her. She is great. She is as responsible, probably, for David Bowie's career as anybody else. She was, like, very driven. She was living in London at the time. Is that where they met I know she was there and one of the reasons that the two of them got married was was out of convenience. She wanted to stay in London. Correct. And he also kind of wanted to have an American tie. It's kind of what I was
2: I know more. I know definitely she wanted to stay in London. I don't know if he looked at her as a as a gateway to the states because he was being managed at the time by Kenneth Pitt. Sure, but she was making the costumes, right? No, but she ended up finding the people that would. Okay. She was a great organizer like with people and things that he should have his interest on, you know, to take notice in. she would push him in terms of certain styles and things. Mm-hmm. I mean she's she's a great companion piece uh, and a pivotal figure amongst a few others that sure had he not sort of been exposed to or surrounded by, his career would have taken a totally different turn, you know? For sure. Having Visconti and then McRonson and, yeah. you know, even Kenneth Pitt to an extent who secured his his early years for yeah, four he, years. Well,
0: he's the one that basically told him that he should leave the band and go as a solo artist.
2: Correct, correct. Uh, but I mean, all those like sort of key figures... Uh, really nurtured Bowie, yeah. you know, and uh, Angie was really the 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 tie-in of what broke the '60s era of Bowie, and then of course introducing, you know, the yeah. the '70s, uh, what you know where Bowie made his mark. But she was great, and and I feel that she, I mean, there's there's a large group of of People that really like her, and then I. But I also feel that some people she gets maligned a lot, unfairly or misunderstood. Sure. Um, yeah, she's an easy villain, and she unnecessarily so. Right, right. Once they separated, his his uh sort of remembrance of her was was slim to none. Uh, yeah, and. It's a, it's a little odd, but then again, sure. there's a few odd things with, with Bowie in general. Certainly. Yeah. Uh, she bore their first child. Uh, yes. Um, Zoe. Yes. Is it Zoe Bowie. Yes. Mm. His, his name is now, I think.
0: Duncan Jones, right? Correct.
2: Who has his own career. Filmmaker. Filmmaker. Yeah. 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 So uh, he did okay. He did okay. He did okay. And I it was cool that he didn't, that he did something creative, but not you know, trying to be David, too.
0: Yes. Did not take in on his uh, fake name. and Yeah. N- not like uh, Dylan... Ja- uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> with Jacob Dylan.
2: Yeah, and a slew of others. That yeah. was always
0: my favorite comment to his. He's like, I don't really want to be compared to my dad. And it's like, well, why'd you take his fake last name? Then?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, didn't you want to be uh, Jacob Zimmerman? Exactly, instead? exactly. But... Uh, Doug, now hear uh, this Jacob Zimmerman Yes yeah. and you
1: <laughs> I hear this I wrote a song for you
0: uh, So the Angie Angie years uh, we, we so uh, Crazy we, Crazy we, period Crazy time You know um, But they You know She was bisexual You know He was bisexual They were both Just having a great time um, Until I guess The feelings Started to Come into play um, You know David I think would attract the love of many people. Mm-hmm. And um, and it seemed that she had an open relationship just to compete with him. It didn't seem like that was necessarily what she wanted, but she, she was fine with it.
2: I don't know. Uh, that might be an unfair statement. I think, you know, first of all, that was definitely something that was, to an extent, you know, in vogue in the seventies. Certainly. Uh, especially in the rock world. They just maybe outgrew each other, I yeah. I suppose. And that's true.
0: Wasn't she getting jealous of David Bowie's new secretary? Yes, Coco. Coco. Yeah. The infamous Coco Schwab became David Bowie's personal assistant in 1973 and kept the job for 43 years. She was basically the paid parent figure in his life. Caretaker, if you will. She did David's dirty work, which included keeping trouble out of David's life, which started including his soon-to-be ex-wife, Angie, but also was the one that David turned to when he wanted to get off of the uh, cocaine.
2: Carry on. The... Her, I'm not a big fan of.
0: <laughs> no? Oh. Okay.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Coco really it, it, she just came in and she made sure that she became the closest thing in David's life and she just controlled it. Mm. Uh and she she became like, you know, an ironclad door that you could not you cannot get access to David without her. Sure. A bit of a ball buster. Oh yeah. 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 And I could certainly understand the positives in that and even the necessities David at the time, especially, and just having that type of career period. Sure. And Um, she
0: remained, she remained fond of him and he, he remained fond of her.
2: Absolutely. But I would also say like any relationship that that, Sort of extreme, you know. There was a strange power uh struggle of sorts, cold, weird codependency. Cold mm-hmm. You know, it 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 went beyond the norm of being your personal assistant.
0: She she was still assuming her job as the secretary in paying the band members, right? That's what I understood. Uh,
2: you you you. Could not really get access to David without her. Okay, it's, she she had. I mean,
0: and I hear to this day she still won't do any interviews. Like it's it. There's hardly any, even
2: any like visual evidence that she existed. If you <laughs> yeah, <don't. laughs> yes, <yeah>. Coco <laughs> Schwab. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. She. I don't. Again, she is an odd character, which we're probably never going to really know about, other than you know hearsay, yeah, and th- things of that nature. <laughs> she would do a lot of David's dirty work for example when they were going to ah yes uh, do let's dance okay Bowie hadn't made a, a record at that point almost three years yeah. scary monsters being the last he had just signed a new record deal with emi mm-hmm. and, uh, and wanted to go in with a bang yes but originally the sessions were scheduled to take place with Visconti, who had been now working with Bowie again, after taking some years off, uh, since 77. Tony Visconti is David Bowie's
0: longtime producer. David discovered him when he was producing T-Rex's recordings. Eight albums worth, actually. But he'd also worked with Bowie as early as his second record, alternatively titled Space Oddity. He went on to record The Man Who Sold the World, skipped the Ziggy Stardust period, but came back for Young Americans and pretty much was David's main guy for the next umpteen records. His whole recording output up until this point
2: Carry on. And then Tony, Mike gave Coco a call and was like, hey, when are you guys, when is this starting? I've already made time, you know, available for this and and I know that it's getting close. And she said, well, I might as well tell you, uh, you know, David has gone with another producer. He's started recording with Not Rogers. They didn't do an album then for 20 years. Wow. But he came back? Tony came back? Eventually. I mean, they worked, I think it was Heathen when they finally worked together. Okay. But that was 2002.
0: And, and and my knowledge of bowie albums pretty much is not up, <laughs> up to snuff when it comes to that the later era
2: yeah yeah i mean i i just kind of know it because i you know even the stuff that i wasn't that interested in i always followed but i mean yeah, yeah there, there are there to some some things that are a little weird and mm-hmm. and let's dance let's dance is always going to be kind of a, a love hate thing with sure. me.
0: yeah <laughs> i understand i was not a fan at the at the time right i mean you know i i'm a man who grew up in the mtv era that had a big impression on the music that i listened to and and sort of formed what i was understanding about live music at that point and that you know version of david bowie really did sound polished and glossy and to be frank, like none of those songs ever struck me as great songs, or like something that I would want to listen to. I, I found it more of an annoyance when like China Girl was on again. I was like, oh, this seems so racist to me. You know, right, you know. right.
2: Well, you could thank Niall Rogers for that. Okay, fair uh, enough. He he came up with that lick. Um, uh, what are your thoughts on it now?
0: Let's Dance, I think, is a masterpiece now.
2: After the album or the song or the both?
0: song? I haven't listened to the whole album. I have gone back and listened to the singles. Uh, also, Modern Love is fantastic, a fantastic song. Uh, I've been incorporating those songs into my band, and I really love playing Let's Dance. It's it's key. It's in like a Dorian key. Um, it's like musically speaking, it's uh-huh. just really fascinating that this song is a hit. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, and that it's David like, Bowie heard it as a hit in his head, and and in, in its initial form when he presented it to Nile Rodgers, it's totally
1: different than what ended up happening. He he uh, he walked into my bedroom and he says, uh, "Nile darling," he always called me darling. "Nile darling," um, I I, uh, I think this song was a hit, and he started playing. Let's dance. So I thought, whoa, David, I come from dance music. That's weird. It's not a dance song. And he said, well, it's not a dance song, at least not in the traditional way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Niall took it. And, you know, Niall was at a, a pivotal point in his career as, as well because he'd been known as the disco guy. Was trying to shed that. that identity off of his resume and, right. and which is which is what created that riff that dump 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 like that this uh this delay thing that he has going on
1: the engineer Bob Clear Mountain was working on delays to diff on the drums so that if David sang and he wanted a certain rhythm on a delay or if we had the saxes or whatever and we wanted a different sound on the delay or or whatever. He just was setting up delay times. We happened to walk into the room while he was doing that. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Put my guitar in that thing. And then instead of me playing, I just played. And then the delays made it go.
0: those super thick chords that you never hear in pop music. It's, it's, it's a fascinating song.
2: You know, uh, I listen to Let's Dance on occasion. Um, it's its probably the last album that I could say that I know pretty much through and through once post Let's Dance. Uh, you know, it, it, it's a different affair.
0: Because his problem was with that album, not a problem, but that's where he said, all right, I'm going to cash the chips in and I'm going to make a big pop record because right. he's always just sort of been behind the mark a little bit.
2: you know. Well, behind the mark in the sense that he was never trying, I don't think, to really have this uh, universal global appeal. Exactly. That all changed with yes. that record. Yes, yes. Although I will say, even though he knew he wanted a hit on that record... I don't think anybody expected it to be the monster that it became. Yeah. That, that is one thing that took everybody a little bit by by surprise.
0: Yeah. 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 Especially in like this new era. And then I knew that they, he'd had a, a good contract with RCA.
2: And which they were willing to re-sign him once the contract came up, but he was not happy with them for whatever reason. Uh, And then he went with EMI that of course the, the story goes that they the contract was anywhere between 10 and 17 million this is an 83 which was okay. a huge amount of money for them. yes i mean it's
0: still not bad today yeah 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 oh my god I, it, today it's un unthinkable i mean there's the money that was in the record industry in those days compared to now is i mean yeah. it's all it's all been siphoned off with uh And streaming services. Yes, yes.
2: I think my main issue with Let's Dance, and I think probably many people of my generation, you know, aside from the obvious that it was far more commercial and all of that, was, you know, David so deliberately disassociating himself from the past and not saying that he was bisexual and kind of making little Mm -hmm. jokes about how he used to dress. And you know, you're, you are talking about somebody that all of two and a half years ago was still, you know, literally running around in a clown suit.
0: Mm, Okay. So,
2: (laughs) um, it was just such a jarring sort of message to, to relay to what was your fan base? Yeah. You know, uh, Bowie was fag rock, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's who you're, that's who most of your clientele was, or it was all the arty kids, you know, all the all the kids that got picked up, you know, picked on at school and stuff like that. Yeah. And it was like a big skew to all of us. Sure. And that pill, you know, it's kind of like, a, you know, like the thing, like anything that we have as kids that we st- still have a little trouble grappling with. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's always going to be my issue with that record, that it's a little hard for me to disassociate what his message was yeah, with that album, as opposed to if he would have been like, I just kind of want to have a hit record. I'm not really looking to do anything too radical or extreme. And it still would have been somewhat of a disappointment because again, we all, were always expecting yet another, you know, strange new mask. Yeah. Uh, but it wouldn't have been with that sort of added, you know, mm. gut punch. Yeah,
0: after trying to siphon
2: that off of
0: his, uh, it, for whatever reason.
2: Yeah, but in a way, I think that, I don't know if it literally haunted him, but it off, it, it did affect the career. Oh, yeah. You know, Bowie was, I always say, the, there's never, Bowie pre-Let's Dance is never this, you know, like it's, it's not the same after, you know, from Let's Dance on.
0: Mm. No, not at all. No. He, af- I mean, after he cashed in those chips, after he got his big break, signing bonus, his yeah. break, yeah. I mean, with, with the, the, the pop artist and, and transcending that and also making enough money because yeah. he's never really made a whole lot of money.
2: No, because he signed some terrible contracts, specifically with Tony DeFries. Yes. Tony DeFries was David's first
0: impactful manager. Through the years, he also represented Lou Reed, Iggy Pop, John Mellencamp, Matt the Hoopla even Luther Vandross. When David and Tony first joined forces, they were also good friends. Tony even came up with the idea to use the word Bowie as a way to market David, like Cher or Madonna, sort of. Tony was also a say-no-to-drugs kind of guy, and David was more of a say-yes-to-whatever-you're-sniffing over there, especially as his celebrity stock rose. Tony was a smart guy, and although he was largely credited with helping David reach eyes and ears the record-buying public... His contract stipulated that their earnings be split 50-50, and that agreement stuck even after they parted ways professionally. Needless to say, it was a bitter breakup because Tony continued to get checks from David's future musical earnings. Obviously, Boy was not a huge fan of Tony in his later years.
2: Carry on. And, uh, you know, he would say, "It's like, I'm going on tour because I need money.
0: (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that was the fun thing about Tony So It was his attitude in the first place when he first, when David Bowie first started hitting the road that Tony would put him up in the nicest hotels. Yes. Like his idea was just like fake it until you make it. Correct. Make it look like this guy is the richest, biggest rock star in the entire world. And, you know, to a certain extent it it worked. worked. But not when like the final
2: bills came in, correct.
0: <laughs> he didn't make especially to it, especially in the
2: states, you know, and yes, I don't I don't think people realize, you know, especially now they think, oh, well, Bowie had all these hits, but it's like define the word hit. Yeah. if we're going by chart American chart success, uh, I think Bowie had maybe eight top twenty. Songs, Wow. Should I name them? Do it. <laughs> Let's see if I'm going to remember. Wasn't planning to stay.
0: But now I don't want to go. Because we're here tonight. How's this for a cliffhanger, huh? I'm sorry to cut it off here because Michael T. and I had more insightful conversation, but we already are an hour in. Folks, some of you did reach out to me saying you're interested in hearing these B-side episodes. There's more Bowie, Minutemen, Jane's Addiction, Todd Rundgren even. There's plenty more content, which is such a yucky word, but more content in most of the conversations I've conducted for this. I promise you, I will be creating this Bank Be Your Food Deluxe Subscriber Edition in the next month or so. Keep your ears to the ground. It'll happen, I promise. Until then, let us consume and discuss the David Bowie Soup of the Day, red pepper, shrimp, bisque. Enjoy. And I'm dying to say, let's keep on holding on for another day. We're sitting in front of a, after a, a very lovely conversation, we're yeah. sitting in front of a delicious bowl of soup here that I'm going to describe for you how this was made. Um... This was a concoction that I sort of had to invent because there doesn't really seem to be a shrimp red pepper bisque, but there are shrimp bisques Uh and there are red pepper bisques.
2: So this is a fusion of the two. This is a
0: fusion of the two. Which is uh, I like it. I also feel very David Bowie-esque. <laughs> um, I found common ingredients that were in both things, and then I added things yes. that I thought would help blend these together. Uh, one direction I could have gone was to use coconut milk, but I really wanted to use just regular milk because that would be honoring the pepper and milk <laughs> um, guidelines that we have for this. So anyways, what I did is we started out with, uh, the a, shrimp almost has a uh, creole. That's that's kind of what had to happen here. I, I did put some creole seasoning
2: in here. It's good.
0: It's yeah. good. I'm a yeah? big
2: fan of the spice. Excellent. Good.
0: Yeah. It's not too spicy. No, I didn't, no I don't but it has go a little bit. It
2: has a little bit of a kick. It's got a
0: little bit, little bit in there. Um, yeah, like I, I kind of had to sort of put it like a New Orleans sort of thing to make it work. Uh, we start. And we like
2: New Orleans because it's a wild city. Absolutely. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. It's it's yeah,
0: my favorite city in America, honestly. Is it? Um to, yeah, I don't want I wouldn't want to live there, but <laughs> if, if 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 I have to go somewhere in America, I'll I'll go to New Orleans. There you go. And, and I know I'm gonna have a great time. <laughs> um okay, so we started with a pan. We put some shrimp in there. Uh, and the shrimp had their shells. So we 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 sauteed them on both sides about two to three minutes each side. Take the shrimp out. Take off the yeah, shells, de-peel right. them, throw them back in the pot, and then I, I use that to start making a stock. My stock, I chopped up, loosely chopped up an onion, celery, and then I put in some thyme, some um, old bay seasoning, and some bay leaves, a little salt and pepper. What and, was the
2: one before the bay leaves?
0: Bay leaves, uh thyme?
2: No, the one after.
0: Old bay seasoning? Yeah. That's that's the that's the uh, Got cre- it. the Creole seasoning. Yeah. Um and then uh, a pat of butter, a couple of teaspoons of butter, okay. um, olive oil. And then wow. I, yeah, and then I cooked that with in about four cups of water for about a half an hour. And then once it boiled down a little bit, I removed all of the solid parts. Uh, and, and and took out that water and that water that becomes my stock. And I set that stock aside. Got it. So I still I still sit with my pan, put in a little bit more butter, again, a little bit more olive oil. And then I put the actual vegetables that make up the base of the soup. So another stalk of celery chopped up fine, a uh-huh. uh, half of a red onion chopped up fine, uh-huh. some more thyme, uh, some more salt and pepper. And then I I cooked these for about five minutes. Also, uh, three cloves of minced garlic. Oh, garlic must. Very important. Absolutely. Uh, Once these guys had been uh, cooking for about five minutes and starting to get another color, I put in a tablespoon of flour. That is starting your roux. So this is a roux-based soup most bisques are, are kind of based off of a a roux sort of thing. Um, so your roux, it it starts with your flour. And then from there, you're going to build up more or less a gravy, kind of like a thicker thing. So once I got that going, then I also put in a a cup of dry white wine. Once that cooked down, I put in about, I would say five roasted red peppers. Oh, um, so the roasted red peppers, I did this in advance. Um, the roasted red peppers, you just cover them in olive oil and stick them in the oven Uh um i want to say about at 350 degrees for about 20 minutes um once they get all soft you take them out and once they cool down you can just slide the skins off of them so you're just left with the red pepper obviously you take off all yeah the seeds and the stems and you just set those aside so you know this i had done yesterday so After the wine had cooked down, I re-added that roasted red peppers and cooked them until it was warm again. Then I re-entered the stock, put the stock back in, and I cooked this whole thing now for about another half an hour. Kind of takes a
2: while to see. It was was a process,
0: yeah. I, I don't cut corners. If you want to cut corners, you don't have to make a stock. You could just buy a shrimp stock or you could buy any yes chicken stock and that that's going to do the same thing right yeah but um for me i really wanted to get as much of the shrimp flavor as i could so yeah i made an old school stock you always feel bad because i whenever you do it it's like you end up throwing out a bunch of vegetables but we did we did get a delicious soup out of it which i which i already finished you yeah you've been going to town as i've been here painstakingly trying to remember the recipe um So, okay, so now we have everything inside of the soup. We've cooked it for a little bit. I'm jumping in a moment here because I forgot to mention to Michael, at this moment in time, the next direction is to blend the vegetables. You can use one of those immersion blenders. You know, one of those deals with the tip that uh, is designed to cut your fingers off. Be careful with those. Or you can put your soup right now in a blender or food processor, then what? Uh, then when you're ready to go, you're going to add your cream and or milk. So with this, I put just a little bit of cream to kind of get a little a bit little of body. heft, a little bit of the body. Then I added, I would say, about a cup and a half, two cups of milk to just to bring up the liquidness because at this point it, it had cooked down right. a little bit. Um, and then from there, salt and pepper to taste. For your pepper, use white pepper. Really, and then salt. Yeah, uh, I also had a lot of paprika. Oh, I felt paprika. Big, big,
2: was. big fan of the paprika. Are you? Yeah, and
0: I think that that is really the bridge between. I mean, I'm Cuban shrimp. and Italian, so Aria? I'm all
2: about oh, spices. Bella. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. I, the paprika was to me was really the bridge between the uh, shrimp and and the red pepper. You uh, swallowed this whole thing down <laughs> without did. without any anything. So, why don't you so say a couple I, of words
2: while I have a bite? <laughs> <laughs> well. First of all, thank you. It was really delicious. Better than I thought. (laughs) My pleasure. And what I liked about it was that somehow you managed to balance between it, not obviously being a a veiled soup, but not being the super thick, creamy soup that I am rarely a fan of. Mm. You know, it's something that you have once in a blue moon, usually when it's cold out, Mm -hmm. things of that nature. And this... Is, you know, clearly a, a heavier suit, for lack of a better word. certainly, But not this overly thick, you know, that you, you don't even finish the bowl and you're already too full. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, being with an Italian and really adapting the Italian culture... You know they really shy away from using butter whenever possible. Like, it's all about the olive oil. It, yeah, there's lots of olive oil in it, and
2: olive Which is oil infinitely better than, than so for
0: much you. healthier yeah. for you. So much more flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the same goes with like using cream. I use cream very sparingly. sparingly. yeah, just a little bit. As as give it you a said, little body. Yeah, 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 the body. But you know, if you know, if you want to thicken it up, you could put in a little bit more flour or starch or something like that, and that's going to thicken everything up and 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 give you that texture that you need. Um, and from there, like the salt and the pepper, and and and. You know, when you get all that butter, Why the you kind of cover pepper. up.
2: I'm I'm curious about the white pepper. You know,
0: that's that's the flavor that
2: I continually
0: saw in the recipes that I saw. Okay. Well, I mean, a black pepper is is more abrasive. It's a stronger flavor, and I think it's going to cover I'm, I'm up a, the I'm, shrimp.
2: I mean, it it could it could become a little overpowering because I am a spice person. Mm. I'm definitely never. I don't shy away from the black pepper.
0: Okay, pepper. and tr- traditionally I don't either, uh, but in most seafoods you would kind of use less pepper generally overall, um, because like if you get too spicy, it's like the same like you know drinking red wine, and we're we're already balancing a really. Um, tricky subject because red pepper can be very strong yeah, and, and overbearing. Yeah. Um, and then trying to balance that with getting the shrimp flavor out as well. You know, you don't want to overdo either one of them. You want them both to,
2: to have their, their moment in, in But if, But I would say if I had to, if one had to slightly be on the edge for me, always, always the seafood. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. Sure. I mean, if you're going to have something that's seafood, that, I mean, it's, it's all in, in the name, yeah. right there. I'd rather know that I'm eating a shrimp than I'm eating a, a giant red pe- pepper.
0: Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. You're gonna have a red pepper any day, right? You know, yeah. a shrimp should be an, an event. You especially learn after you, you you deal with the Italian culture, where you know their foods really pare down the ingredients. You know, it's a, it's a limited amount of ingredients. It's what's in season because that's, what's going to taste the best. And then you highlight that stuff. So, you know, most recipes aren't going to have more than like four or five things in it, right? which is all you need. So yeah. And especially when it comes to seafood, like a shrimp doesn't taste like anything in the United States, (laughs) you know, like the shrimp just get overboiled and overprocessed and and all you're eating is the texture and like, right. the flavor it is completely gone like it, in in Italy they'll eat a raw shrimp and it's amazing like these things are so good it's it, you know like over here we're just like afraid of like getting sick or something i don't know what the deal is um <laughs> But, you know, maybe part of the deal is these shrimp don't even taste good in the first place, so you might as well just, like, overcook them so you're not going uh, to... Although
2: maybe New Orleans would be different, because obviously their whole basis for cooking is, of, of course, com- coming from the French.
0: That, yeah, yeah, yeah. so Yeah, they, they seem to be the exception
2: to the yeah, rule. Yes. But uh,
0: even even then, I you know, even though if you eat a lot of seafood dishes, I'm still not getting a lot of the seafood flavors. I'm getting the Cajun seasoning... Which is also fantastic.
2: Yes. You know, um, it was still spicy enough. Like I, I could feel it, you know, that I wasn't like, oh, where, you know, it was, wasn't one of those things. I'm like, oh, I could feel the, you know, the bite, as, as I like to say.
0: Yeah. Uh, I also did, uh, forgot to mention that I put these
2: homemade croutons on top. Yes, you forgot the croutons, <laughs> and croutons the croutons
0: another thing.
2: Yeah. killing it. Here. Yes. Yeah.
0: Well, the croutons were just made from some old bread from the bakery down the street, uh, bakery, and they make fantastic bread, and I've used them on this show before. Uh, but this with the last, like, butt of bread, I just cut it up, put on some olive oil, salt pepper, uh, garlic powder, and then for this... I put on some Old Bay seasoning on top of that as well because I thought that would complement everything. Give it a little, uh, yeah. And uh, it's it's maintaining its thickness and its crunch as it sits in the soup. It was not soggy. Did not go soggy. Nah,
2: didn't no, didn't go soggy. It really made it very uh, very crunchy, which is admirable.
0: Totally. So yeah, that's given us the texture along yes. with the shrimps that are inside because yes. there's it's chock full of shrimps. So yes, um, yes, you were
2: definitely. Uh, generous with the shrimp, which is not always the case when you're at a restaurant and you order a seafood, something or other. And it's like, oh, here's the two shrimp. So it qualifies as plural. That's right.
0: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So we can write it on the menu that there's shrimp in it. Yeah. So it's, it's fun. I I know that David Bowie towards the end of his days, I mean, he was living, you know, was living in New York city.
2: Correct. Soho.
0: and living kind of a normal life. Like he was able, like he, he, to get around. Yeah. He wasn't, he didn't have any persona. So he could kind of like walk around and be himself and like be a, a regular person. A civilian. Yeah. Yeah. Which for him was really a, a wonderful time in his life. Cause he, he didn't get to be a civilian for so long.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, I, I guess between obviously being older and there have been always, you know, celebrity stars, you know, however you want to phrase, uh, refer to them, uh, that lived in new york city mm. and um you know he certainly blended yeah. in much more in his later years and yeah clearly the the 70s or even you know the 80s to an extent i never saw him i knew some people that did i knew some people that had uh, a few people that i think at least one or two that went to his actual apartment that was quite large from what i understand oh wow yeah but um You know, once he got sick, he essentially turned into a recluse because he made his last album, I guess, in 2003, which is reality. I mean, prior to the last. Okay. Right. Okay. And then went on that tour, then, you know, had the heart attack. Then he uh, did a few select performances and... You know, unfortunately, we didn't even get, like, one live performance uh, from David in his 60s. His last live performance was when he he was 59. Oh, wow. So that would have been 2006. And it had something, it was, like, three songs, and uh, Alicia Keys was the hostess. Yeah. I I recall this, yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And it was him with Mike Garson. Mm. I know, what. I think he sang Changes and possibly Life on Mars and One More, and... Uh, that was it. That was Bowie's last official live performance, mm-hmm. and then of course, when the the, consequently, when the two albums came out, you know, uh, the next day, and then Black Star. Well, Black Star, he only survived the release of that by two days. Yeah. So practically a posthumous release. Uh, but even when the next day came out, I guess it was around 12, 13 or so. Mm-hmm. You know, he hadn't made a record in 10 years. Yeah. And I don't think anybody was expecting him to to make one again. Sure. I don't, think, a, I don't a, think that he was expecting to make one either. Yeah. I mean, that's a long stretch. And of course, then uh, they started to work on the whole play thing, which I saw the, you know, the reworking on the Manifest yeah. Tour yeah, yeah, yeah. thing. I'm forgetting the name now. It's escaping mm-hmm. me. But it's ironic. I mean, I guess, you know, like with anybody, he was maybe then. Came across another sort of creative spark in his life, yeah, which was then met with, you know, the health issue that sadly uh, was, uh, you know, not not to be overcome. Uh, sure, I, I do remember when that happened. I was getting ready to do my annual Bowie birthday show mm-hmm. at Power Electric, and uh, it was two thousand sixteen. And I remember that we, well, I was going to. I, I switched venues. I was doing it at Le Poisson Rouge prior, and then I w- was going to do it at Bower Electric that that year. Well, it was it was booked there, and um, when I was preparing the set list, I I was like, oh, I'm not really sure what I'm going to make it because I was already thinking of the following year because he would he would have turned uh, seventy for 2017. Okay. So I was like, oh, you know, next year will be a highlight, you know, but we hit 70, da 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 Um, And, you know, of course, this whole thing of the 70s, 70, you know, my mind was already like one one year ahead. And, um, and, you know, we were already promoting the show and I came uh, out of a rehearsal. This was a Sunday night, which finished probably around 12 or one. And I forget, we might've gotten a drink afterwards and we were, uh, did you ever rehearse on 30th street off 8th Avenue? Oh Uh, yeah. Okay. Bunch of times. Right. So we, we came out of that uh, rehearsal studio and then I, I, there were like some, some of my friends were, you know, going in different directions. I'm like, you know what? I'm already on the West side. It's easy for me to get home. And uh, there's a diner right on 34th and 8th. And I thought, should I get something to eat? Should I go home? And I was like, ah, screw it. I'm, I'm just going to go home. And as soon as I walked downstairs into the train station, I, you know, I got a text and at first I thought, you know, it was maybe going to be somebody from rehearsal or whatever. And it's a friend of mine and it said something like, Hey, texting you. Cause you know, I know you're <laughs> his biggest fan sound like a uh, uh, misery now. Um, Uh, but I just heard something about David Bowie, you know, passing away and, you know, reading this out of the blue two in the morning, you're like, this is some like weird joke. And then of course I got another text and then another text. Yeah. And it was, it was a real surreal 30, 40 minutes on the train because I live all the way uptown. And then of course I wasn't getting any more service. Yeah. Um, and I just, I just could, you know, I just couldn't believe it. it. It was, yeah, yeah. It ended up being obviously a very memorable and powerful show. And we then, I think, we were originally only going to do one set. We had to then turn it into two sets. Yeah, we were throwing songs that we weren't, you know, fully rehearsed. It just, you know, it snowballed entirely. Sure, of course, um. And, you know, the first song I ended up doing was Five Years, and it was, uh, wow. it was hard, you know? Yeah,
0: that one. <laughs> the, the, the song about only living for five years.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it was such a, it was also for me, it was such a fine line because I didn't want to, I didn't want to go there, you know, yeah. start the show all jumping and all of that. I just felt that it would have been in poor taste and I mentally I don't think I could have done that anyway. And
0: Yeah, that's that's a perfect start.
2: Yeah. And I had to address the audience in not the usual sense. Sure. You know. Um and uh I, you couldn't you couldn't move at Bower Electric. It I'm sure just wall to wall and people really there to share that moment. so even though clearly we, uh, you know, there were so many people there for a a sad reason, I I guess in a weird sort of way, and, and, you know, my own way after being a Bowie fan for so long, it was uh, a privilege of sorts to be in a position of offering some type of, condolence or uh, just a, a space where people felt you know that they could uh, experience more and celebrate you know whatever variant of that that they that they could without it being uh, you know weird or certainly exploitative you know this yeah. is this is a show I had already been doing for years yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Which unfortunately, after Bowie's passing, you know, then it's just like everybody and their mother decided to, like, oh, now we're going to do a Bowie birthday thing. And yeah. Yeah. That's never been a favorite of mine. <laughs> no,
0: of course not. But um, I mean, how fortunate, you know, the community was to have you in that moment to sort of reflect on, you know, David Bowie's life and, you know, his passing and, 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 you know, like you, your love of David Bowie is, is like felt by everybody. So, you know, the fact, <laughs> nice. the fact that you could come in there, like they were all looking to you for like condolences, you know, like for some, some help at this point, like, just, you know, like let, let's, uh, you know, take a moment and celebrate all that is, you know, and David Bowie and, you know, like, obviously they're not going to go to the funeral. So, you know, you were just kind of conducting this moment in time for everybody to you know sort of think about how much david bowie has meant to everybody's lives and you know kind of go through that grieving period but then also i'm sure it was a a party oh
2: it would you know the second set definitely was a little less intense it became a little bit looser yeah you know and everybody was just very celebratory and in, in the, in the not exaggerated annoying type of sense, you sure. know, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, and, and grateful and, and just, just, just very, just, just a really great New York moment, you know, hard, hard to put into, into words if either you weren't there or you're not a New Yorker and, and, you know, things of that, that yeah. nature. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, awesome. I think that's a good capper.
2: I think so, too. Yeah.
0: Michael T., thank you for coming over and talking all things Bowie with me here and enjoying a cup
2: of soup. The soup was great, Nate. <laughs> I, I might have to ask you for seconds. There's plenty more where that came from. Make sure you uh, take a bowl on your way home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we can we can do that. And, and thank you for inviting me. I think, as, as I mentioned before, this might be my first. Uh, official podcast interview. What a privilege
0: to have (laughs) you for the first podcast. I hope you do more. You're a great
2: guest. Well, thank you. Thank you very much.
0: So I I guess I'll I'll see you on Halloween at the uh, Arlene's Uh, Grocery, no?
2: Yes, yes. uh, I'm performing at Arlene's uh, on Halloween yet again. I think this is like my third or fourth year that I've been there. Awesome. And uh, The best
0: rock venue in town.
2: Yes. I think. Great, great sound. Great stage. Yeah. I, I think people forget how good that stage is. Oh, the stage is perfect. And uh, you know, know know the people that, that run the place. Of course, that's always a big plus, as yeah, you know, as a fellow musician. Yeah. And uh um, cap the battle. Should be uh, <laughs> most definitely, sometimes even more. Yeah. Uh should be a, a fun, spooky Halloween night for all. Fantastic. I'll be there.
0: <laughs> all right, man. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you later. Thank you. That about does it for today's show. How'd you enjoy it? I'm glad you stuck it out. It was quite a chat there with the incomparable Michael T. Thank you so much for coming over, Michael. He just sent me a text saying he's been dreaming about that bisque. Must have been a good one, so you, listeners, should go make some yourself. It's not that hard. Hey, while you're at it, tell a friend about this bank of beer food. Follow me on Instagram, TBCBYF, and please, 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 rate the show on apple podcasts or wherever you can rate a podcast is there other places i bet there is for the next show it's going to be halloween time so we're going to have an appropriate candidate alice cooper i'm bringing back my good friend charlie schmidt he's a everyday halloween kind of guy and the perfect dude to be talking about alice cooper with so thanks again for listening i am your humble servant nathan palin saying cook on and rock out ciao ciao